Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. It's been a big radio show. Kyle Whittingham joined us in the 4 o'clock hour. Jonathan Smith uh, coming up here in a moment. Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show. John Robinson, longtime USC coach. I've been exchanging messages with him. He's like 95. I've been exchanging messages with him. He is supposed to be on Friday's show. That's going to be a real treat. Joining us now, Jonathan Smith. How about John Robinson coming on the show? Yeah, man, that guy's a legend. Now, shoot, that's back to when I was growing up in Southern California, head coach in the the Trojans, the Rams, that's big time. I remember when Charles White was in the backfield. That's kind of like my childhood. Like, I might be too – I'm older than you, I think, so I, that might be too young for you. Who was in the backfield when you were watching USC? Yeah, that's a little further back. Rodney Pete was throwing the ball yeah. around. Todd Marinovich, you yeah. know. I remember uh, – how about this Brad Otten uh, took him to the Rose Bowl, and that was Mike Riley's last year's the coordinator before he came up here. And actually, early conversations, how bad is this? Riley's trying to rank, recruit me up to Oregon State, and I'm asking him about <laughs> USC and Brad Otten. And <laughs> anyhow. Now you don't get your feelings hurt if some kid says, oh, you know, I watch UCLA or I watch something else. And you're like, okay, I used to do that too. Yep, been there, done that, you know, out of Southern California. And, you know, I'm proud of my roots, and that's where I grew up. And now I've been here a long time and got some good things going here in Corvallis. And we tell the recruits about it. Yeah, you got a shot here at a nine-win regular season, a ten-win season still out there for you. Uh, we've talked about what a far cry that is, but let me go back to your childhood. Did you ever watch the USC games as a kid and say, you know, I might want to coach one day, or were you more focused on the players and playing? No, at the time when I was younger, I was playing. Uh, I do think I got into late high school and just kind of enjoyed the schematics of it and, and all that. And then I, I changed a little especially early early college of what, looking at the game, I think, differently than just a player on the coaching side and, and always enjoy, just, just enjoyed slash was passionate about the strategy of the game and, and attacking on, on offense, obviously, from the start. You guys got uh, a win last week. You got to seven. That's good. I saw some guys come off the field banged up. It's like everybody this time of year, but – where are you health-wise right now? Yeah, we, we took a few, actually a little bit more than we had. We've been pretty healthy overall. You're always going to lose a guy or two once in a while, but we we had been good, except that game, we had a bunch of them uh, not be able to finish. Uh, a few of them working through, I think we're going to get maybe close to half of them back at least, feel confident about that, and then we're going to have a few game-time decisions. Um, and, and you're right, I mean, this is game 11, Bumps and bruises are taking place. Every program's dealing with it, and and we're confident that we'll deal with it well with the the depth of this roster and the next guys stepping in. Is that different from when you first got here? When maybe you lost a guy and there was a huge drop off, or you're going to somebody who's pretty young? What's the difference now versus maybe in your first year when you got an injury? Yeah, quite a bit different um, in regards to the depth part. It's really quite a bit different even on the first string guys. Um, and, again, I'm not down on our first year. I really appreciated that group. They worked hard. Um, but I do think we've continued to develop and recruit better and better. 
and where we're currently at is in a whole lot better situation than it was uh, first year. What do you see when you look at Arizona State on film? They've had a wild year, and they're a little up and down, of course, but what do you see? Yeah, they got some talent now. I mean, the receiver's a big-time player. they got two backs that can run the ball. I think they're physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides. I think they got the leading tackler in the league playing linebacker. They didn't even play last week, and he's still leading the league in tackles. Um, so they've got, they've got talent. They've been in some ball games that they could have won. Um, and, again, it's hard. Anytime there's a like transition like that, head coach you know, departs after whatever it was, week three or four, um, so they've got talent. They put it together. They can be really, really dangerous. Uh, we got to play our A game to to be able to beat these guys. The uh, you know when you get an interim staff, is it hard to scout? Because or, or how many games are you looking at typically when you're looking at a a team in a season? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, Sean Aguano is a great man, and he's he's a good football coach. Been a long time high school coach. Really did a great job, and has been there, so he knows that program and the and the roster, he's taken over now, and it's been over a month. And so we look back at the last four or five games pretty heavily. We definitely watch all the games, um, but you get focused in on the last four or five and what they're really leaning on and what they're trying to do, um, and ultimately not trying to chase a bunch of ghosts out there just because you're not totally certain, new, new, new kind of regime, new play calling, things like that. You just go off of what, what's on tape. Ben Goldbrinson, what you know, is he is he where you want him to be? How much I keep asking you the same question, like, can he take a step forward? Can he take a step forward? But you know, can you get more out of him in the pass game? Yeah, yeah, we you know, and it's not just him, but we can and we're gonna continue. I think we spread the ball around a little bit better last week. Still ran it fine, um, but Ben was efficient when he, we asked him to throw it and the type of you know, third down in the second half, he was lights out. You know, really, he's got a chance to throw a touchdown pass toward the end of the first half that we drop, yep. and his numbers look even better. Um, so he's doing some solid things, really. We got confidence in him. We threw it more in the red zone. Um, you know, the first time he got a lot of time against Utah, he threw two picks in the red zone. And I look at the growth and development. I look at his red zone play this last game. It's night and day different. I had Kyle Whittingham on earlier. There's obviously a question about, you know, Bo Nix at Oregon, if he's going to play this week or not. And, Kyle talked about injuries, and he said he's never going to say who's available or who's not unless he has to because it's not in his advantage. He also said he would agree if, like, all of the NCAA agreed, hey, we have to be honest about injuries, then he's happy to do it because, you know, he doesn't want to be the only guy who's telling the truth, I guess. Where do you stand on that? There's some truth to what he's saying. Like, if it was the same across the board on uh, the protocol of – reporting injuries, there that would there'd be some real beauty to that. Um, because even like today, I get sent to me any article talking about Arizona State and what they're doing yep. at practice. and uh, So any information you can gain on who's practicing, who's available, who's not, there's some advantage there. I mean, I even go back to my playing experience. When I'm playing quarterback early in the game, you're trying to identify, okay, they, they got the same – starting 11 on defense that we prepped for the whole week, who you studied on film. And so the quicker you know, uh, the more comfort level comes, comes for the offense, let alone if you're trying to attack a guy or if there is a backup in the game, you're quicker to recognize that when you know it on Thursday versus you know, the first quarter of the football game. It feels like the quarterback position is the most important when it comes to that, mostly in most teams. After that, where do you go when 
you know, if you can get a peek at a practice or if I could give you a drone and you could fly it in for a drill and see if someone's healthy, what position group would you want to see? Right, you know, it's <laughs> interesting. It's a good question because it, it does. I mean, you want to see it all. I think the secondary piece, if there's a guy or two missing, that can dictate some coverage at the same time. If the D-line is light, if they're missing an edge rusher, if they're missing their three-technique, three, three technique, um, you know, it's important for the quarterback to know, but then the, the offensive play caller and what you want to get to quickly if they're down a guy or or even being down a guy would tell you sometimes what fronts and how much blitz you're going to get just because of the, the nature of the position. So there's a lot of information to gain. All right, so I, I, uh, I've had photographers at all these Pac-12 games this season, and one of my favorite photos is this photo of you and Kyle Whittingham before the Utah game. You're on the field. You're doing that small talk thing that the coaches do when teams are warming up. What are you guys talking about? What do, you, what do coaches talk about in that moment? You know what? That, you know, I actually remember that one conversation before the game. So Kyle actually grew up in Glendora before he finished high school, I think he moved to, to Utah. So we were sitting there talking about, we went to the same middle school, junior high. Really? He, where his his house was was not less than a mile from where I grew up. He lived pretty close to Glendora High School, actually a little closer than I did. Um, so we talked a bunch about that. We're talking about their practice facility, how far from the stadium it was, and, and the day and age. Um, I'll give you another one, too. So this last week, we, we play Cal, Justin Wilcox. I've known this guy for a long time, right? We played against each other. He's mm-hmm. at Oregon. I'm here, blah, blah, blah. So anyhow, you get comfortable when you're around guys that you kind of know. So we're, we're talking pretty honestly and frankly, and I won't go into the topics we're talking about. Well, I come to find out the guy was mic'd up for Pac-12 Network. <laughs> so I, I haven't called him yet because, you know, we beat him and all that, but i got to give him a hard time next time I see him. you, you got to give a brother a heads up. Right? If the guy's mic'd up. <laughs> Give the guy a heads up so yes. I can guide my conversation. Oh, that I would be horrified. I'd be like, what did I say? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, my goodness. I love that. I've been learned on my end. <laughs> yeah. Head coach's conversation before the, before the game. Yeah, you got to look over and go, hey, is anybody mic'd here? Um, <laughs> all right. So, so uh, Coletto was on the show yesterday. He threw a beautiful spiral. Like, it might have been the best spiral I've seen all season Any, anybody in the league has thrown. He threw a beauty, and your guy made a great play in catching it. Like, are we going to see more Jack Coletto throwing? He did throw a spiral. I actually gave him a hard time, and, like, he's got to show off his arm because if he takes a little bit off of it, I think we score. Anthony yes. Gould's got to make a big-time catch. Yes. Jack's out there, like, he's got to show off all his skill sets. It was a great throw in regards to spiral and the big-time play, and, and that's not his first completion of the year. You know, we actually no. – yeah. He threw a ball against Utah, and it's part of his part of his repertoire. I like it. You guys look like you're having fun. Are you having fun coaching him? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm finding moments of, uh, yeah, I'm having a ton of fun. You know, you always build up. You get to go on to the next game and find ways to get anxious about it and what we got to do and, and this and that. we got a great group of guys. The, these guys are working hard. They're fun to be around, um, competitive group, and anxious to, to get to line up with them a few more times. All right, you get uh, this week, uh, you will get Arizona State. Next week, you're back at home. Uh, you're doing some things you haven't done before. In you know, Like last season, you went to USC and won. This season, you won some tough road games, including that Fresno State game. It's been a while since Oregon State won at Arizona State. Is that something you guys talk about? Yeah, we, uh, you know, actually, uh, I made them aware of that Tuesday morning, kind of preview 
the matchup and the situation and things. And, and there's just got to be something to learn from that. Uh, not a lot of success down there in the desert. I think that's actually a, a reoccurring theme. You look at the Northwest schools. We had the same conversation with UW having a tough time going to the state of Arizona and winning. Um, there's something about it. And so just trying to grab their attention. I think these guys know they're going to be locked in. It's a talented group. It's a tough place to play. It's on grass. We're playing earlier than we normally do. Yep. So all those factors we gotta we got to balance. All right, Coach, I appreciate you making time. Good luck to you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, sounds good, then, John. All Thanks. Right. There it is, Jonathan Smith. There you Now you know when these coaches are hobnobbing at midfield, talking to each other. Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith went to the same middle school? That will show up in print at johnconzano.com at some point. Did they have the same teachers? Now, I'm just thinking, I'm just spitballing here. Like, Kyle Whittingham's considerably older than uh, Jonathan Smith. I think uh, I think when we talk about Kyle Whittingham's age, we're not we're not talking about, like, you know, maybe Kyle Whittingham, Kyle Whittingham was, like, with some of Jonathan Smith's older brother's friends. But uh, pretty interesting. Kyle Whittingham's 62, okay? Jonathan Smith, uh, I got him in his 40s somewhere, but let's say 43. So there's 20 years difference between those two guys. Maybe uh, maybe Kyle Whittingham went to school with some Jonathan Smith's teachers in middle school. But now you know. And who knew that Justin Wilcox was mic'd up for the Pac-12 Network and Jonathan Smith is... I have a good story on that front. I'll tell it in the next segment. I have a story that, that dovetails very nicely with Jonathan Smith not knowing that Justin Wilcox was mic'd up by the Pac-12 Network. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Bunch of people freaking out about these Taylor Swift tickets. Have you guys uh, you looked into this? A little bit. I mean, it's no surprise that Ticketmaster is terrible, though, right? Yeah, but people are uh, going crazy trying to get the ticket code and trying to get the tickets. And then, oh, if you don't get the tickets, the the uh, apparently the uh, tickets for Lumen Field in Seattle, like the cheapest ticket is like a five or six hundred dollar ticket now on a secondary uh, ticket market. Some of them go up to two, three thousand dollars, and the five or six hundred dollar ticket is like nosebleed tickets. So, so the Taylor Swift concert will not be my first concert. <laughs> not <laughs> happening. Not happening. I'm not going either. Uh, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about this thing. Jonathan Smith said that last week in the pregame, he didn't know that Justin Wilcox was mic'd up, and he's talking to Wilcox, and he's just shooting the breeze. I mean, it's a guy he knows. He's probably talking off the cuff, and all of a sudden. He figures out the guy's mic'd up for the Pac-12 network, which is pretty alarming. Like, you know, we've all been in those situations like, you know, you, where you don't want to be. Uh, but uh, not necessarily with a Pac-12 network audience listening. Um, years ago, I was covering Jerry Tarkanian. And Tark, you know, Tark painted outside the lines. Uh, I appreciated him and his uh, Father Flanagan appeal. There's a place for him in college basketball. But Tark was not polished. He was a little rough around the edges. Okay, He was highly evolved, but not polished. So he was a pioneer in the NIL space, so to speak. But he often, uh, you know, he didn't, he, his practices were open to the media, for example, and people would just be wandering in and out, and it was just very casual. So 
PBS had this had this documentary series called uh, I think it was called Frontline or something like that, and they reached out to me and one other writer who was covering the team, and they said, "Look, we understand that it's not easy to be a media member covering a figure like Jerry Tarkanian in a small town like Fresno. We were in Fresno, California at the time. Tar could do no wrong." And he was doing wrong. So when you called him on it, people would show up at your door. I got my windows smashed in my car. You go into the grocery store, it'd be hostile, and you know you just never knew what you were going to encounter. And it it got a little weird sometimes. So PBS said we want to do this documentary. We want to send a crew around, follow you around for like a week, and document like what is it like to cover a team that has got this kind of figure in charge of it. It was really a good idea for a documentary. So. They put a camera crew with the beat reporter, and they put a camera crew with me. I was a columnist. And they kind of just were around you as you had interactions with people, but you were mic'd up all the time. I got used to being mic'd up, you know. And so I was, you know, aware of the fact that I was mic'd up. But a lot of people I was coming into contact with, I would have to say to them, hey, I'm mic'd up. But I didn't really think about it when I came in contact with Tark himself. It's Jerry Tarkanian. We're at a practice. There's a cameraman there with me. He's 10 feet away from me, and I'm mic'd up, okay? So I have a microphone on. I've got mic equipment on me. Um, I'm just there covering the team, and the camera guy is shooting. There's some implied, uh, when you're in a public space that it, in that state, there is some, uh, you know, it's implied that, you know, you're recording. And you're a public figure like Jerry Tarkanian. You're being recorded. But I'm in this hallway with Tark, and we're having kind of a, you know, I wouldn't say it was an argument. I would say it was a prof good professional debate about some of his players who were struggling academically. And I'm saying to Tark, look, uh, he's saying this kid needs basketball, which he was right. He was talking about a player named Nick Irvin who needed basketball. And he had some NBA guys on that team like Chris Jeffries, Melvin Eli, some guys who played in the league a little bit, bounced around. Uh, it was the year after he had uh, Chris Heron and Avondre Jones and Rafer uh, Alston and some other guys. But it was, uh, was kind of interesting to see the reaction of Tark when I would say something like, give me a success story of one of your players that doesn't involve basketball. Like if I said that to most coaches, they'd be like, oh, Joe McGee played for me four years ago. He didn't play very much. You know, he's a he's an agent now. He went on to law school. He got a law degree. Or you might say, uh, you know, uh, you know, so and so was the first in his family to graduate from college. Like, you know, you'd have a success story to trot out. So Tark Tark says, and he was this was the beauty of Jerry Tarkanian. He would just tell you. He kicked me out of practice a couple times because he didn't like things I wrote. He said, "You need to get out of here. I want you out of practice." And as he's yelling at me, uh, and I'm saying, well, why are you kicking me out of practice? He said, because, you know, you wrote X, Y, Z. And I'd say, Tark, if you kick me out of practice, it means you have to close the whole practice. You can't just kick me out of practice. You'd have to kick every media member out of practice. And then he'd look at me and he'd go, is that right? And i go, yeah. And he goes, okay, you can stay. And then we'd, like, we'd stop arguing. But so he just was, there was a beauty of him that was, uh, you know, he was honest. But he was also fiery, and he painted outside the lines. There's no other way to put it. So we're in this hallway, and I say to him, give me a success story that doesn't involve basketball, involving one of your players. 
And he he looked at me. I'm mic'd up. There's a cameraman 10 feet away filming the whole scene. PBS. And Tark says, what do you think I am? A bleeping magician? He said, you know, some of these guys just aren't made for school. Like, you know, and he goes on this long rant about how some basketball players go to college just to play basketball. Well, PBS captures this on film. They are like, the producers are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he said that. That was such an authentic moment. And he was right. I mean, if we're really being true, some college athletes go to college not to get an academic degree. We all know that now. Tark was the first to say it, and he was, you know, beautifully authentic about it. And, uh, you know, so PBS had this great footage. Well, Tark realized after he was like, somebody told him, hey, you know he was mic'd up? You know that all went on film. So the sports information department and Tark's people suddenly were all over PBS going, he didn't know. He didn't know that John was mic'd up. He wasn't aware of it. And they ended up negotiating with PBS that they could use the video and have the PBS, like whoever the reporter was, I think the, the reporter ended up being um, – the uh, former Washington Post uh, sports columnist, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, the, they ended up doing kind of a vo voiceover with, hey, this is what happened, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, they didn't allow the audio to uh, to be out there. And so <laughs> it was really, really an eye-opener to me that, A, Tark either forgot that I was mic'd up or he knew and then just pretended he didn't know. That I was mic'd up. So I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Should PBS have pushed back and said, no, too bad. It, there's a camera there. They were trying to avoid getting sued. And Tark was trying to avoid looking like he didn't care about academics. Yeah, I mean, I think they both had their had their reasons. If, you know, the way, the way I, uh, I look at it nowadays is like when you're on speakerphone. Like people are like, hey, you're on speakerphone. Yes. Like you, it has to be told that you are on speakerphone, especially if you have kids like, don't curse. Like, don't do these things. Be careful what you say. Yeah, yeah. Like, if if you called me and and your kids are in the background, you tell me at the beginning of the call. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, John, you're on speakerphone. What's going on? My kids are here. I don't know. What do you think, Peter? Do you think that uh, that uh, we should uh, we should have uh, let Tark's audio stand, or you know? I, I mean, I would have loved to hear it. There certainly is a reasonable expectation, especially you know you're famous and there's a camera around. I'm surprised PBS yeah. agreed to do that. I I think he knew. I just think it's kind of funny. All right, Peter Sampson, the Pulse coming up? No, Todd no, Timbers no, coming Todd up. Timbers. No Pulse. Man, I'm looking forward to the Pulse. Uh -huh. All right, leave it right here in Portland on 750 The Game. Grab a podcast of this show. We're back tomorrow. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.